Matthew 9, 1 through 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. Thank you, Lindsay. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to the passage she just read. I, I love our community of faith. I have this big intro on Pentecost Sunday that I have at the front end of my message. But I don't have to say that because <laughs> you already know. Seriously. Our people are tuned in and tuned on to what's happening in, in the world, but also in Scripture, and so it's such a beautiful thing. This is one thing I would add, though. If you are not familiar with the Holy Spirit, uh, there's a lot of misgivings, potentially, in the church, and I understand that. Uh, we believe in its full embrace of what the Spirit wants to do and may will to do. And I believe this, that while some see it as chaos, potentially uh, disruption, I think what happened on Pentecost was exactly uh, what was already, has already been shared, that Pentecost was this ordering of chaos. It's this bringing together of people, uh, you know, through common language in that state. I mean, Peter addresses, you can read it, and I would encourage you to go to Acts 2 and go, okay, I'm not familiar with what's going on, so I need to read. Do that, please. But Peter addresses this uh, accusation of them being drunk with, no, that's not drunkenness, you see. That's the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a ordering of chaos in the world. And so it's so sim similar. Now think about this. I'm going to do a hyperlink with you. So similar to what happens in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit hovers over the, the, the void, the chaos, and he, he brings order. They bring order to what is out of order. And so anytime that you see an occurrence of the Holy Spirit, what you, what you are finding is an ordering of chaos, whether it's in a person or outside in, in the world in one of those natural ways. And so I would just add that uh, in that in that process, and then uh, we will get to it at the end of the message, but this is what I would suggest, that if you're needing order and chaos in your life, you need to raise your hand, uh, maybe literally, but definitely figuratively, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring order to your life, but we will be praying to that end. There is, a, there is, there is much misunderstanding, I get it, to that, that understanding of the Holy Spirit, but we want to bring uh, the, the fullness of the Spirit's desire Healing helps, yep. Uh, I'm not here to tackle this one. Uh, Scott said it, read it, and it's in the passage, but we believe that there's that place of tongues uh, in multiple directions. So 
But back, in, back to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. We, is, we have been, it's been a while since we've been in Matthew. And so uh, we're back there after doing a couple of series uh, out, out and around some other topics. But this is one thing I would tell you. If you're not a regular reader of the Gospels, as a follower of Jesus, let me encourage that to make a regular part of your diet. So if you're, if, you know, if you're into the, you know, I know the pyramid thing, I think it's a plate now, right, on the food, the food thing. It used to be the pyramid when I was a kid. Yep, that ages me a little bit. But if, if you're, you're understanding it, it is like your fruits and vegetables. It, is, it has to be a part of your regular diet. Reading about Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John on a regular basis needs to be a part of our our whole uh, understanding the kingdom and understanding the ways of Jesus. So I would just add that. Well, we're back in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to walk it through just piece by piece this morning and uh, do it rather quickly, I might add. On the other side of the lake, we left off a few months ago with Jesus tackling a storm on the lake and then defeating demons and a couple of men on on that other side. And per the request of those who were on the other side, they said, hey, would you just leave us? You've brought too much order to our chaos. You go read it, you'll find out. This is true. When Jesus speaks, he brings order to what's happening. It just may not seem like it because we're so used to chaos. And I would, I would challenge us there a little bit. And so it's disturbing the status quo. So they plead with him, hey, would you leave and just go your own way, Right? And so Matthew states, uh, and he writes, that he has come to his hometown. You may be going, well, wait a second. Are we talking about Bethlehem, Nazareth? No, we're talking about Capernaum here. Uh, that's his locale. Uh, doesn't mean his place of birth or uh, that type of thing, but Capernaum is where he's located. And it says in Matthew 9.1, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Now, I know it's been a few months, but uh, I'm going to tease you here with, if you haven't been in the Gospels, maybe you'll get back to them this way. They have done some, just some the, the disciples have been seeing some incredible ministry by Jesus. Just some incredible ministry. I mean, calming the seas. I don't know how many of your friends, uh, when you're out in a boat, can go, hey, just calm down, right? To the weather, right? How many of your friends, uh, there may be a few actually, have spoken to demons and people have been transformed right before your eyes. So can you imagine this conversation that's being had on the boat behind Jesus's, well, or whatever, uh, you know, around Jesus, like, what did he just do? What is going on? What did we get ourselves into? I mean, just a moment that, of command by Jesus, Jesus speaking. Now, this is an incredible, again, uh, when I say hyperlink, there are just different places in Scripture where God speaks and something happens, right? There's just a movement that transpires, and this, again, is what's transpiring here. Jesus speaks into both of those situations, and it changes them. It brings order, what I would say, order to chaos. So we have to, and they were wrestling with in that moment, on that boat, they had to have been wrestling with this question, who is Jesus I mean, like, okay, we, we know he's a teacher, and we, we kind of, he, he invited us into his realm. It's a little different than what we're used to, but he invited us, and we're compelled to go with him, but he's doing some pretty crazy stuff. And so I would say, just with, as with them, we have to ask the same questions. Who is Jesus? So every time you come to the text, and Jesus is doing something like this, we have to be going, 
whoa, who is Jesus? Not come with the assumption that we know who Jesus is. I think we, that's the fresh view. We prayed for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. We want a fresh view of what Jesus is doing in this text and what he's doing in our own lives. So Jesus has been on the other side, but he's now gotten back to the other side. And now remember, he's already been, uh, you know, <laughs> seeding the kingdom in some grand ways. And so the word must have been, word must have been, Uh, filtering out we don't know the timelines so tight but that Jesus is back in town and they remember uh, not just so many uh, days ago probably that Jesus wait a second he healed his own but he did some pretty crazy stuff he healed a centurion servant you know the centurion wasn't even he's not even a Jew and not only did the centurion ask for, for not, he didn't ask for it for himself, nor for his family member, but he asked for it for a servant of his. And Jesus granted him that. I mean, think about that kind of, that message being filtered through the town. And so what we have is the para, paralytic man enters the scene. So the friends hear that he's coming back into town, and they know that their friend needs some help and healing. And so we read, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. We have no words recorded in this account between Jesus, the men, or the man on the mat. Uh, there are, even in the biblical accounts from Luke and Mark, there's, we, we understand that there's a tearing away of the roof. That's not presented here in this passage, but there's a tearing away of the root, but there's no communication. There's just this lowering, if you will, in that, those accounts, the lowering of Jesus, or lowering of the uh, paralytic man, or in this case, this, the paralytic man being there. There's nobody there. Or there's no words being said. But what we do have are these words. The text says, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Now, I, I, I think we can probably accurately pin it to the, 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 the men's who ca- men who carried him there, but uh, some scholars that I was reading, they were like, we don't know. The, the, it doesn't point directly, but th- he saw their faith. So let me ask this question. What does their faith look like? What form does faith take in this passage of Scripture? Well, I think what Jesus sees is Jesus sees their compassion. He, he sees their compassion. Their action and their passion for their friend allow uh, Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. Uh, they had heard the stories. And maybe they had talked to this paralytic man, hey, man, you need to, we need to carry you. And we don't know that he had a faith. It doesn't say that. But they carry him. And I think maybe, maybe, just like stories run around our neighborhoods and in our communities, we tend to, whether we want to admit it or not, we tend to lean into the line of the vine, the gossip line that runs down. Maybe one of these guys ran into the leper. Read earlier in Matthew. Ran into the leper and said, aren't you the one that's formerly known as the leper? <laughs> Tell me about this story. What is, what happened? Well, you know, I, and this is the leper, I, I don't know, I don't know, I just was overcome with the, uh, the opportunity, this, this, 
the situations were, you know, just right. I saw healings happening, and I heard stories, and so I blew all the communal rules. By the way, lepers were not supposed to be near anyone. They were supposed to cry out, you know, that they had leprosy, and so that people would stay, stay, stay a distance. And this story, if you look back into it, you realize that, that that's not what happened. The leper just comes and kneels right before Jesus. And Jesus does something pretty incredible too. Jesus doesn't go, ooh, leper. <laughs> no, Jesus does the exact opposite, which Jesus generally does. He reaches out and he touches the leper. And I think those stories, whether there was a direct conversation or not, those stories impacted these friends. They realized that if it wasn't, if, it, if God doesn't intervene in their paralytic friend's need, that he would stay just the way he was. And so they bring their friend, Leon Morris Morris states in this commentary that they had deep conviction, that these friends had deep conviction about what God can do. And I believe their deep compassion equaled their bringing their friend to Jesus. Just that deep, deep desire to see what happens. Now, this is the crazy thing, right? We have to ask the question, what does healing look like? What does true healing look like? Because the reason that we would guess and we would assume if we were standing in the midst of that crowd that day that they're bringing their paralytic friend to get before Jesus was not for what he responded initially for. What we see is he forgives sins. You know, I mean, we, we think of Jesus as the one who will help us in our trouble, right? Our illnesses, our fights with others, our relational issues, our fights with others, our work, our finances, etc. We tend to go, with him, go to him in prayer for those reasons. Yet Jesus' words remind us of what Jesus already said in Matthew, I believe, chapter 4, where he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I mean, we're, we're kind of, we're jarred away from the paralytic man laying there, right? I mean, we're also told in Luke 19.10, another gospel, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He tells his disciples, what does he tell them in Matthew 28? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. We've already heard the Acts passage where that we're to be, that we're to wait for the Holy Spirit, that we're to be the witnesses of Jesus. I mean, Jesus comes to do what kind of healing? Our hearts generally want the healing of the physical kind. Not wrong, by the way. Or the psychological kind and the emotional kind. But Jesus' purpose was to bring the kingdom and the only way he could bring the kingdom was to restore a relationship between us and God. And so we are confronted with this in these words of him, by him, when he says that they are forgiven. We are also reminded in Matthew one twenty one, if we're following the gospel through, and I'm kind of, kind of taking us back to re- do a little review to bring us to where we are, that, that Joseph was told in a dream that Jesus... Jesus would be the one who would save his people from their sins, right? Wow. 
So right here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus does just that for the very first time. For the very first time, he saves this man. He says, you know, your, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, your sins are forgiven. I mean, why would he do that? The guys can't, I mean, he's a paralytic. He moves him to restoration. And just as we do often in our own prayer times and our own desires to bring our friends to Jesus, we desire for them to have their felt need met. And Jesus is, I think, on the hunt and the heart for the heart of people and desiring to see that happen. But we again are reinforced in this little passage of the importance of faith. As small as a mustard seed, the faith must exist And out of that, forgiveness of sins happens. But this, as we see, there's this, there's, as with any good story, there are are subplots playing their way out, right? And Jesus is found in this passage, if you have it open, (laughs) with this accusation of blasphemy. Now let me put it in a different way. So that maybe you'll let let those Pharisees a little bit off, those teachers of the law a little bit off the hook. So if you had a friend come to you, uh, a, a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, and he walked up to you and he said to you, uh, Brother Ray, your sins are forgiven. And you, you're like, really? Who, who are you? Who do you think you are? Because that's exactly their response. Not out of character. They desire to see, uh, you know, desire to, th- to have things doctrinally and theologically connected, you know? I mean, we might even say to that person, thanks a lot, but I think it's a little bit above your pay grade. <laughs> right? That's exactly how they probably heard it a little bit. Like, They say, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. And Jesus, going on, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts? Well, not only just, he's not tenderly walking into this, by the way. You're in in thoughts in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. There is quite a declaration in that statement. There are a couple of things that are being said, if you didn't catch it. One, it's easier to tell somebody to walk than to forgive sins. That's pretty crazy, right? I mean, it's, you think about it. We could, that authority to do that. But then he also affirms who he is in that. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Uh, So blasphemy is one of those things that we sometimes struggle with. What does it mean? Uh, How does it see itself played out? So a little definition here to help us, uh, maybe not just today, but in the days ahead. It's insulting or showing contempt for or lack of reverence for God. Or and act of claiming the attributes of a deity of which that's what they were saying. You aren't God. You can't say that. And he says, actually, I can. Actually, this is who I am. And we then come back to, 
we're going to get to it here in a second before we get to other things, but who is this guy? Who is Jesus? I mean, if we were standing there that, in that day, we would be asking those questions. Even as the disciples, I think that they're, they're watching, they're observing, they're like, what is transpiring right before our eyes? But then, before all that happens, a physical healing. Jesus, so he said to the paralyzed man, take, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. And again, like I said, we're driven to ask this question, who is Jesus? This text is just pounding it over and over again. And why would he not only have the authority, why, one, he, he has the authority to forgive sins, and now he has the authority again to, to heal physically? Who is this man? But as the text ends, it ends with this. When the crowd, he has the authority, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. They recognized, whoa. I'm not sure that they totally recognize who Jesus is, the question that should really kind of ride through us, but they go, they're, they're realizing and recognizing far before the teachers of the law that this was a man from God and that God had given this man Authority. We, we come to the end of this passage and we realize that Jesus has restored many things. He has amazed many people and right before their very eyes. And I'm going to combine some of the passages we've already talked about and that are previously read. He had command over the weather. And in that, he challenges his own disciples to have lacking faith. He has command over and authority over demons and the supernatural. He has command and authority to forgive sins. And again, he has, he has the ability to physically or to heal somebody physically who is broken. He establishes his authority. He is the son of man, and we'll get to it. He is the son of God. The one who is calling people to follow him into an established into and to establish a new kingdom and bringing heaven to earth. Yet there, there are these men who simply wanted to bring these men of, of faith. They bring their, their, their friend and they're just wanting this man who they've heard about to heal their friend. And they come to realize his authority at least in that place. But what we need to understand and what we need to recognize is that when Jesus exercises his authority, Jesus' authority is equal to the kingdom of heaven brought to earth. It is that. And in this passage, we see this in the forgiveness of sins and the physical healing of the paralytic. So where does this leave us? The question that should leave us is the same question we've been asking all along. Is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Who is he? What can he do? My suggestion is if we're followers of Jesus, that we recognize and realize that Jesus has authority. Authority to, to uh, forgive sins, but over the physical realm. And just like the men with their faith, we need to come with Jesus, come to 
uh, come to Jesus. Sorry, it's going to say come with to Jesus. That shouldn't be. Come to Jesus with conviction. We need to come to Jesus with conviction. And if this morning as a follower of Jesus, you are lacking a little bit, I am reminded in Mark 9, 23 to 24, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, as may we this morning too, I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. You see, friends, Jesus has the ability to heal and to forgive. But we may have been in that place and space where we've been waiting for him or he has, well, we would say he didn't come through when we thought he would come through, as we thought he would. But Jesus has that ability. And we need to come to Jesus with compassionate friends. I think this is the harder one for many of us. We sometimes leave our friends at the door when we have trouble befalling us, right? But we need to engage our friends with what is happening to us. Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says this about prayer specifically, but also about the community of faith and how they can be uh, the conduit, I believe, of the Holy Spirit's work. Again, truly, I tell you that if two, or, two of you on earth agree about anything, they, they ask for it. They ask for it. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So as we conclude this message, there are a couple of questions that I have for you. What or who do you bring to Jesus this morning? Jesus wants you to bring what you have to him, right? And, and maybe this is the other question that's not on the screen, but who do you need to bring with you who has faith for your situation? You've exhausted yourself. You know Jesus has something, but you're weary and you're not there. Who are your compassionate friends who not only have passion for Jesus but are taking action on your behalf, sharing your burden? And I think there's a last question for you. Those of you who may be here this morning and are still wrestling with the authority of Jesus, I would ask this question one more time. Who is Jesus for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven on this day, when those who were praying with the expectation of your coming Holy Spirit, you delivered as you promised and as Jesus stated. And as we sit here in this moment, we come to realize the delivery of Holy Spirit was the grand deposit of what you desired for us, for all people, just as the healing of the paralytic man was restoration to him in that moment, as was forgiveness of sin. And it was all, Father, we agree and believe to bring a greater fruition of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In that place and space then, and I believe, Father, in this place and space now. So friends, I ask you, who or what do you bring to Jesus this morning? What request what burden do you have? And maybe you're a friend this morning, a brother or sister this morning who has been wearied by your pleading. 
even though Jesus encourages us to continue and be persistent in that, who are your friends who can join you this morning in praying for and bringing your request to God? In a few moments, we're going to sing, and I'm, I'm going to encourage you to keep and create a, a posture of prayer. And as uh, Scott encouraged us earlier, it could be in your pew, uh, on your knees, standing up, sitting, or it could be at the altar. And I invite you to bring your request. And if you need, and if you would like, tap a friend or two to come with you, to pray with you. But maybe even this morning you're asking this question, I don't know Jesus I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, but I have yet to say yes and follow him. If that is you this morning, you can, you can pray this prayer, but you can pray your own prayer. Just simply, Lord, I want to follow. I want to know you. And make that decision yours this morning. But the prayer that if you would like to follow me with this morning is on the screen. It is simply this. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me for my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I would like, even as we pray or as we sing, I would love, like for you to keep a, a posture of prayer, using the altar, using your pew, tapping your friends, using this space.